Welcome to Sub 640, the podcast combining long form source journalism and pop culture. This is episode 40 for 40. Damn. 40. And I know. We're in our Jay Z years. Are we? Yeah, you know. The- 40 is the new 15. <laughs> Terrific, yeah. No, we're very young. We don't know how to drive yet. <laughs> we obviously don't know how to do math, yeah. but that's okay. Uh, I'm Abe, always joined by my co-host, Matt. Oh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here, Ben. How are you? Surviving. <laughs> how are it's you? A, it's, yeah, it's been about another month, and we're here. We're doing this monthly now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like supply and demand. So the less of the supply, you know, the more you guys... Just like Jay-Z's albums. Right. Yeah. Now and Japanese whiskey. And we're going we're gonna to open our own streaming service called uh, Mytel. That sounds, my title. <laughs> Mytel is like, isn't that like the like uh, the period thing? thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was gonna, like, is that what like women take when they're on their period or whatever? Oh yeah, you're right. Mytel, <laughs> yeah, for cramps. Yeah. <laughs> are you telling me something here? No, <laughs> I do have cramps. From, no. <laughs> yeah, we are. So this is episode forty, and episode 40. we're, we're kind of like in our hot flash years. No, actually, that's, that's fifty. Oh yeah. Right. Damn it. Yeah. We don't know anything about anything. I don't know anything. I mean, women's bodies should not be regulated by men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take that, government. <laughs> All right. We are sports and pop co- pop culture, by the way, so let's jump into that, man. And apparently hot, hot button <laughs> politics. <laughs> we actually we will be getting into some of that a little, a little bit, bit later. Yeah. yeah. So but we'll, be, we'll be doing some uh, hypercycling. A little bit of hypercycling, and then we're gearing up for another long-form one, maybe uh, the next time we record. Yeah, like three years. Um, three years, yeah. yeah. Light years. Um. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep you guys waiting, you know? Yeah. But I think just to tease it out so we actually do it, it's going to be about legacy. Right. So there's a big question about, like, what what constitutes a great legacy for an athlete's career, right? Is it championships? Is it staying in one place and, and fighting through the ups and downs? Is it the number of championships? Is it the money? You know, what is it? Just winning in total? What, right. what is it? Yeah, we'll discuss upon it, and I think we'll have tons of examples of, I don't know, from the old folks over to the new folks, and maybe you know people at the tail end of some of their careers. I'm kind of thinking more NBA, yeah. but obviously there's football, and there's also NHL, and, and yeah, we still love you, Dan Marino. I mean, that guy, yeah, I mean, well, to be Ace fair. Ace Ventura was a good movie. <laughs> Isotoner. Uh, to be fair, though, I mean, I think his, his legacy was more of like he was a prolific passer, just never got the Super Right, Bowl. right. That's what I'm saying. Like, does that yeah. diminish his legacy? And also like, um, like a like a Jim. Jim. Jim Kelly? Jim Kelly. Four yeah. Super Bowls, no wins. Yeah. No wins. Carl Malone. Carl Malone. But he went ring chasing. People kind of lost some respect for him for yeah. whatever reason. But still, John Stockton, no rings. But yeah. one of the. The all-time assist leader, 15,000 mm-hmm. assists or whatever. Damn. Yeah, and, like, nobody's going to catch him. Yeah, Steve Ever. Nash. Steve Nash only has, like, 10,000 or 11,000 assists. Yeah, it's but crazy. great player, no, no championships, yeah. He went ring-chasing. People were curious about that. We'll talk about it. Yeah. But anyway, just a tease for you there. Yeah. But, yeah, hypercycling it, and um, should we just jump into it? Yeah, and also, uh, if you stay tuned, we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the college admission scandal. You know how college is so important to Abe and I. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll dive a little bit into that. I was drinking water, so I can agree, but yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can hear you nodding up and down. Don't worry. I like how the, the, the listener, <laughs> singular, is like, why doesn't Abe agree that college is important? By the way, the, the listener that you're talking about is my cat, Taylor, who's watching us right now. She's just uh, hanging out in the sunshine. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let's jump into it, man. Yeah, let's jump into it. So, just this has happened a couple of months ago. We probably brought it up again, but Andy Murray, happy trails. 
Uh, Matt and I are watching tennis as we record this on mute. We're watching the BNP Paribas Open out in out at Indian Wells. Is that how you pronounce it? BNP Paribas? Yeah. That's how they. That's just, how the announcers pronounce oh, okay. it. Okay, well, them. How, how I, you've been pronouncing? I guess my emphasis is wrong. <laughs> Were you I was, I was saying like Paribas or whatever. I don't know. Anyways, it's a very French word, <laughs> <laughs> not South American. <laughs> um, but in any case, Andy Murray, he had a hip surgery. It didn't go well, and he'd been in constant pain. And he just was. He's retiring. Um, he wanted to finish out this season of Grand Slam tennis. It doesn't appear as though he's going to be able to do that. Um, he leaves as a three-time Grand Slam winner, um, twice at Wimbledon, becoming the first mm-hmm. uh, the first Englishman or first person from the UK to win it in like you know X number time. of years because yeah. yeah, yeah. it's been dominated by Federer with like you know seventeen of those guys over at Wimbledon or whatever. But in any case, um, Happy Charles Andy Murray. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a tough way to go out because he's. Well, he's like in, I'd say like his primish years. He's like yeah. thirty, young thirties. It's a bummer because this is how we've talked about this on the show too. But this is how much your body takes when you start training to become a professional athlete at a very young age. This is what the yeah. shelf life of NFL players. Everyone, everyone says like by the time you're thirty, you're done because you've been working super hard since you were like eight years old. Well, maybe Andy Murray should have been on that TV twelve diet, man. Eating, eating nothing but air. Beets, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> beets, and more beets, and no nightshades. Yeah, you know nightshades. So it's a bummer because uh, I think that he tried not to have the surgery. Yeah, it bothered him, and it was a bad surgery. He's gonna go have another surgery. Um, it might already be done, but it's just not a great way to go out when you're not able to go out on your own terms. And we rarely hear of that story in today's mm-hmm. time and uh, in the sports era. Yeah. Because a lot of athletes are just like, hey, I'm going to retire now. It's my time. You know, even Brett Favre was like uh, crying. Well, you think about like Chris Bosh, right, in the NBA, right? And he was having blood blood clots. And people were – his doctors were basically telling him like your life is at risk if you're going to keep playing. And, you know, if you listen to, you know, some of the interviews and podcasts that he's done, I mean, he has – he feels like he has a lot more left in the tank. That's true. But he has to – he can't do it. No no NBA team is going to sign him either. It's It's too much liability, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't want to be that guy. It's like, hey, by the way, we signed Chris Bosh, and, you know, knock on wood, you know, something terrible happens to him on the court right. during a game. So, Lawsuits, man. So, anyway, you know, kudos, your champion. Uh, very also uh, solid human being. He's one of the guys that corrects all the reporters all the time of, like, hey, you're the all-time most winningest tennis player. And, like, I think you're forgetting about the, the Williams sisters. So he's always correcting people to think about who's who's called him the all time winningest tennis player. No, I mean all time like coolest guy. Oh, I was about to say I was like, did they forget uh, about Roger Federer? No, <laughs> like, Federer is definitely like the most. Good. I miss. I may have yeah. misspoken. But okay, I meant to say like he's he's always thinking about the game universally rather than just yeah. men's versus he's, women's. He's definitely is a good ambassador yeah. for the game. Exactly. Um, next one. I don't know if you heard this, but Aldell Beckham Jr. Is no longer in New York. The head and shoulders guy? Yeah. <laughs> the spokesman for, for blonde hair for, for black guys? Wouldn't that be the... After, after Cisco? How many how many <laughs> families in America think of uh, Odo Beckham as like the guy who does the head and shoulders commercial? I just think of him as a guy that does coke in Paris next to pizza boxes and has women. Anyways. And wears Timberlands on a boat. <laughs> so apparently ODB uh, really wanted to go to Cleveland instead of New York, you know, because Cleveland is such a better city than New York. That's what they say. No, he That's got what LeBron traded. Says. Yeah, he, he gets traded to the Cleveland Browns after the New York Giants had signed him to a long-term extension. 
um, last year. And I think it was like, what, five or six years. So he's only in the second year of his extension. And the, and the GM of the New York Giants, who was the former GM of the Carolina Panthers, Dave Gettleman, when all these rumors were swirling around, um, uh, just a few months ago about whether Odell Beckham Jr. is going to get traded, he's like, we don't, we didn't sign him to a long-term extension just to trade him. Well, turns out that's exactly what they did. And There's no loyalty in sports. Man. No loyalty whatsoever. So I, I hate it when people are like, you know, fan bases get mad. They're like, oh, you're going to leave us. You're not loyal to us. Well, the owners will do the exact same thing to you. Of course. At the drop of a dime. And so, you know, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot more that we could say about this because this deal has already been lambasted in the in the news. I mean, it's That's such, what your wife is talking about cuz I pronounce it lambasted. Lambasted. Yeah. Well, I always think of turkey basting, so I don't know. Yeah. My wife was always talking about how I mispronounce words, but you know, <laughs> again, my emphasis is just wrong, okay? Leave me alone. <laughs> you uh, passed the star exams? Yeah, you, you know. Um I I got that You barely graduated college. I, I got a degree that I just made a Kinkos and slapped the uh, <laughs> University, University of California on there. Um, no, Matt, Matt was an all-time man. I think he was like Dean's List like four semesters. So he, he's a serious I guy. I was not Dean's List four semesters. You just were on his list. list but, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so ODB is on the Cleveland Browns. Really exciting for the Browns. When when can you ever – when's the last time you remember thinking like, man, the Browns can really win it all this year? I mean, it's probably been – I don't think it's ever been in our lifetime that we were saying yeah. – I mean, at least not when we were – like actually cognizant and watching football. Sure. Um, you know, cause obviously they had those years where their hearts were broken by John Elway in the drive. Um, but you know, obviously that, I think you and I were too young for that, but they have a really, really exciting team. They do. Um, Beckham's going to get, uh, reunited with Jarvis Landry. They're his former LSU, LSU. teammate. Mm-hmm. And also the, their receivers coach used to be one of the coaches over at LSU as well. And I just, so for the life of me though, People talk about how Odell Beckham Jr. is like a cancer or, or like a headache to deal with in the locker room. I don't get it, dude. I, mean? I I really don't. I mean, like, you have probably, besides him and Antonio Brown, who we'll get to in a minute, like, one of the two best wide receivers in the NFL. And the difference between him and Antonio Brown is he's Odell Beckham Jr. is 26 years old. Like, his Elvis best AD. year. He's like 30, 30 or 31 or something like that. Oh, okay. So... His best years are clearly ahead of him. Yeah. And he's like in the thick of his prime and signed to a long-term deal. You don't have to worry about losing him for a while, you know? And how big of a locker room cancer do you have to be? This isn't Terrell Owens like doing like bench press in his driveway cancer. Like it's not him calling. forgot about that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, he called out Eli Manning, but who wasn't calling out Eli Manning last year? Fair, he was terrible. Of, I mean, even, even Will, who's been on the show, I mean, he's, he's called out Eli Manning for like years now. He love he'll stick yeah. by Eli, but he knows that Eli's watch. So the point I'm making is like, how bad does he have to be? Or is it just, just clear ineptitude by the Giants front office. And I think it's probably the latter. It's probably the latter. I mean, the Giants haven't really been the same since they let Tom Coughlin go, and he's, like, proven that he's a pretty okay, like, front office guy. Pretty okay. Yeah, yeah. and he also, like, still has, like, some competency in coaching, Tom Coughlin I'm talking about. But it, it's one of those things where um, Odell should be pretty okay. I mean, I don't understand why he's, like, super upset because he's got a young core. you got a quarterback that is itching to prove himself and has proved himself for the, yeah. the last half of the season. You know, when they pulled uh, Hugh Jackson and then they, they started Baker Mayfield, everything turned around. You right. know, he's an exciting quarterback that can throw the ball deep, that wants to throw deep, 
and you have two deep receivers that can go. Um, Jarvis was like being double teamed at times last season, mm-hmm. so it kind of bottled things up. And they had to cut um, the guy who went on the Patriots. I forget his name already. Oh, um, Josh Gordon. But Josh yeah. Gordon. Yeah, they had to cut Josh Gordon, who was the other deep threat. But now, you know, a young team itching to go. And a lot of talent. It's it's you have Miles Garrett on the back line, and they also um, I think they traded for someone else on the defensive line too. So um, it's it's. I think Odell Beckham, like, I follow him on Instagram, mm-hmm. and um, his workout videos are great, by the way. Like, okay. He, yeah, his workout video. And always, everybody always talks about how Odell, in, like, practice, is one of the hardest workers, right? He's, he's super hard work. I can see that. But he's a celebrity, you know, and he loves the limelight. You know he enjoys, like, being a fashion icon. You know he loves being in New York. Yeah. So I can see why, you know, just on the outset, going from New York to Cleveland, like, is – Kind of a bummer for him. And we talked about it too, where it's kind of tough to be super popular worldwide as an NFL athlete. Yes. Because your helmet's on and also whatever else. So, But I, I think for him though, he's like, if th- if he wants to win the Super Bowl, which would only enhance his celebrity, yeah. Cleveland is a much better place to do that than New York. Because the, the way the New York Giants are constructed right now, you're not going to win the Super Bowl. You know Bowl who agrees with you? Bone thugs. Cleveland is the city. Where we come from, so run. Yeah. <laughs> Mo Murder, come again. <laughs> He's 99 Turtles, yeah. a great album. <laughs> and, and now all our all our listeners under 33 years old are like, what the hell is going on? You know who appreciates who, who's under 33? Clay Thompson. Shout out. <laughs> he loves Bone. Um, um, other thoughts about Odell and the Cleveland Browns? It's going to be really fun to watch. I, I can't wait. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah. And Odell's lucky, right? Because he started his career in New York where he already got all the limelight publicity. So it's not like it's not people gonna, are like, going to forget. Stop. Yeah, yeah. People are not going to forget who he is, you know? Right. So, and they're going to be winning. I, I really do think they're going to be winning. They, yeah. have a, they have a real chance with the Steelers losing A.B. and Bell, who we're about to get to right now. And... You know, um, Baltimore kind of being a little bit of transition with Lamar and the Bengals being the Bungles and hiring a new coach. Um, and you know. yeah, so they have a real chance to win the division. It's a pretty interesting upcoming season. And I have high hopes for, for Cleveland. And again, like what you said, when's the last time anyone ever said that? I just, I'm not sure about their coach, Freddie Kitchens. I don't know. Who, I don't, I don't. Was he offense. the same coach that they. Picked up through the half of last season? Well, he was the offensive coordinator. He ended up getting elevated to head coach right. um, after uh, Hugh Jackson was fired. Right. And at one point, early last season, you could hear Baker Manfield calling Freddie Kitchens an idiot, complete idiot. Uh-huh. But toward, at the end of last season, he was actually um, supporting him for he, being head coach. He knew how hard the, co- the role yeah. of head coach became. Yeah. Uh, well, let's keep going with the NFL stuff here. Uh, A.B. to the Raiders. And yeah. Le'Veon Bell to the Jets. Uh, AB basically sat out all of last season, and he was kind of like Bell. Bell did. Oh, Bell did. And yeah. uh, which we call it? Bell was also doing all the the um, the social media. He was pulling a LeBron, mm-hmm. kind of like going passive aggressive in social media. Whereas Antonio Brown was just like, "Pay me, dude! Like I'm one of the best receivers in the league. You got to pay me." Well, he just wasn't happy, um, and he was. He, I mean, he got paid. He has his extension. He's in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Can you be that happy when Ben Roethlisberger still in the limelight? They were winning. They were winning. Um, so he got into it famously with Ben Roethlisberger, and you know, Ben was like, you know, trying to tell him how to run his routes. Threw him under the bus. Yeah, probably. So they were feuding, and um, AB said that Ben Roethlisberger has like a owner mentality, and we all know what he's alluding to there. 
I did yeah. not know this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they were really going at it back and forth. And my whole thing about it is this, you know, and this is the same way, same way I felt about Odell Beckham Jr. This is the same way I felt about Kyrie uh, when Kyrie was in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. If your superstar is unhappy, but your superstar is one of the best talents in your sport, you just make it work. You know, like, yeah. like you don't have to like people at work. You don't have to like the people that you work with. It helps. Yeah, it right. helps. But if you sometimes that talent is worth that kind of cost. And, you know, people win championships with teammates that they hate. It this happens. is true. Yeah. Yeah. It this is absolutely true. Kobe and Shaq. And sometimes people are so young, they don't know what they want. So now, right now you're seeing with Kyrie, right? Kyrie, he's like 23 years old. Or he's not 23. He's like 26 years old. Right. So Kyrie's kind of like having this whole like, yeah, I was young and I, I really wanted my own team. Now I don't know if I really know what that means. And him like kind of like making up with LeBron. So it's this right. whole thing where like you, you're letting these personalities get their way when they're really just throwing temper, temper tantrums and they're wanting to be the center of attention. So my whole thing was – my, so my point with all that is like if you're the GM for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I understand that you run a tight ship and you don't like distractions, that's not who the Steelers are, and you want to keep like a very tight image, mm-hmm. deal with it, man. Like just fix it, you know? Like, And I don't know how you do that. It's easy, obviously easier said than done, but he's right. like one of the best players that you have. And I think part of being a GM and part of being a coach is dealing with egos. Yeah. And if you can't figure that part out, you've kind of lost your team. And maybe you get a new coach. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, as, as much as, like, the Warriors are winning, you know, David West said mm-hmm. last season when they went, oh, you guys will never know the struggles that we went through in the locker rooms. Like, you know, you see the seams of it. Like, sometimes just Steve Kerr yelling at Draymond, Draymond yelling at Katie, Katie mm. yelling at everybody. Yeah. You know, Steph yelling at Katie sometimes and like just not agreeing. It happens. You know, this is like what you're saying. You don't have to like everybody at work, but you're you're doing this is your job. This is your profession. You know, at home you can love you can decide to surround yourself with whomever you want, but at work it's like it's not it's out of your control. And I agree with you that as a GM or or a coach, it's like you gotta make it work. Yeah. Like there's just because like this again, this guy's a really talented player. You're paying him some money. He's going to produce. You got to tell your quarterback to like chill out yeah. or you got to tell him to chill or just like separate them in the locker room. Or I don't know if you did want to trade him, <laughs> get a really good deal out of it. So that's the other part, right? Because like the Pittsburgh Steelers got like what, a third and a fifth rounder out of it? Yeah, it wasn't a great deal. Which is pretty shitty. And yeah. when you think about what, what did um, the New York Giants get for Odell Beckham? Like if I were the New York Giants, I wouldn't give up Odell Beckham for anything less than two first rounders. And for them to get like a first rounder and then like a third rounder for someone like that, who's in his prime, I think is it's, it's too little. And, and then not only that on your cap, you're eating a whole bunch of dead money. So both of these teams, the, the Steelers and the giants are eating a ton of dead money because they, they're training away these guys early. Right. So not only are they losing money, but they're not getting like, you know, like proper value on the dollar. And they're losing one of the best talents in the game, which is not assured to ever come back or be replicated by right. someone that you pick up in the draft. And it's so weird because these things turn on a dime in the NFL. You know, we've talked about like so many of these things. We talked about the contracts, and we talked about just the way that uh, you need luck in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Again, some of the decisions could doom you for quite a while. Yeah, and so it's really unfortunate that a third and fifth round pick for like a like a top 
15 wide receiver is like, or not even, if, if we're talking wide receivers, that's like a top 10 receiver. <laughs> well, right now, if we're yeah. talking about wide receivers right now, he's like, I would say him and, and ODB are one and two. One and two. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like DeAndre Hopkins obviously is up there too, and then Julio Catches Jones everything is up that, there. Goes, yeah. that goes his way, man. So I mean, his like, first drop pass was like in like the last game of the season or something. Like yeah. That. yeah. But in terms of talent, I mean, it's just it's crazy. But let's talk about the Raiders side. Do you think? How do you think the Raiders look with this? With, with I him think it's an idiot move for the Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> just because like they're they're known to overspend, they're known to like mm-hmm. get talent that is like super fast, but they don't really know how to do anything with. Derek Carr is really excited. He's like, oh, man, I've loved you since, like, day one. It's like, Derek Carr throws check down passes 95% of the time. He's yeah. not going to throw a deep tip yeah. until it's, like, the fourth quarter where they're playing catch-up hero ball. Yeah. So, they, like, unless they, they cut Derek Carr or they trade Derek Carr for somebody who's willing to throw deep and is not afraid to, like, you know, make some mistakes, this is not a great, uh, this is not a great thing for the Raiders because you've overspent – and you're also going to get this guy who's like, maybe might be ruining your locker room. But still, I, on the field, just on the field specifically, who's the guy who's going to lead these guys down the field? Nobody. Like, Derek Carr is like an yeah. okay quarterback. He's not, I would not put him in like the top 25. Actually, there's only 30, 30 teams. So <laughs> I, I, he's in the lower half of the quarterbacks. I don't think AB is going to be happy. Um, at the end of the season, because I don't think they're going to win a lot. I don't think he's going to get the. I don't think his production is going to match. What, I mean, when you compare Derek Carr and Ben Roethlisberger, right? I mean, like, who's a better quarterback? You know, and I know. Um, I I I don't think he's going to be happy. And but, that's not even saying much. That's Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but in terms of um value for the Raiders, that's fine. They have they have a huge draft haul this year. They have like. I mean, they have so many draft picks this year, so you know they have they have a chance to really make a splash. You know who I'm really afraid of right now, just as a side tangent. It's like, um, what's his face? Who's the GM for uh, the Niners? I forget his name. Kyle Shanahan. John Lynch. Oh, John Lynch. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, John Lynch is really being going for a lot of speed guys. That worries me a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, it also worries me that the Niners struck out on AB and also struck out on Odell and they so the New York Giants really wanted the Niners uh number two pick in this year's draft yeah. and they didn't want to give it and I'm glad they didn't. I, I wouldn't I'm glad they didn't it. either. I don't think that A B is like worth a number two pick. No, and you know, receivers um They're not as dime a dozen as running backs. Yeah, but you could you could get some good value in the later rounds. Like yeah. what's really harder is to get good value on the lines and um, so we the 49ers picked up or they traded for D Ford, but they right. really need uh, more talent on the offensive and defensive lines. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, Le'Veon Bell again, another Steeler that is now with a new team, mm-hmm. New York uh, Jets. The New York Jets, they're never going to go anywhere. <laughs> well, it's he's a perfect guy for Sam Darnold. I mean, like he Le'Veon catches a lot of balls, and um, that's a that's what you really need for a young rookie quarterback to you know have that check down like outlet. Um, sure, New York obviously overpaid for him, but you know that's what they do. The do New they York... have a deep threat, or do they have like a few good deep threats? Uh, the New York Jets. I don't know who the yeah. receivers are actually. I don't know either, but yeah. they got rid of Geno Smith. Well, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> he was terrible. They were really hype on Geno. I mean, yeah. the Jets are always hype on any way they draft, and then just just not good. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had like what Bilal Powell. Last year. Wasn't he a running back now? Yeah. No, I'm yeah. talking about like for – so they have Bell yeah. being the number one workhorse now. So I, I think it's great. It's a, it's a really good pairing for 
Sam Darnold. He's a young quarterback, yeah. and you know, Le'Veon Bell is a pretty talented running back. Although we'll see, because this is like what his sixth season or something like that. Yeah, and so the the argument is that like since he sat out last season, he might be a little know, rusty. Well, not not. I mean, he saved mileage, right? So yeah. like his body can mm-hmm. withstand like a lot more. That that was the point of sitting out last year was like. If you're not going to give me the big contract, why am I going to sacrifice my body so much, which is only going to make make it even less likely for me to get the contract that I want? Earl Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't want to risk injury or do anything like that. So, I don't, I don't, I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. Yeah. Speaking of which, D. Ford, formerly with the Chiefs, now yeah. with the 49ers. <laughs> what did you say about D. Ford? <laughs> I was like, oh, we got the guy who, like, cost the Chiefs a chance to win the, or to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. He was called on off sky offsides in I can't remember if it was the regular regular regulation period or if it was in overtime. I think it might have been regulation. It was uh yeah, the regulation before they before they tied it up. Yeah. And then um on that play, the Chiefs got an interception which would have essentially basically seen the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, but then instead they called the uh the offsides which five yard penalty. Which is bullshit by the way. I didn't think it was offsides. Yeah. But in any case, what uh, Matt, what did you think about this signing? Like it's great. He's excited yeah. because he's pretty he's a pretty fast player. Yeah. And again, John Lynch has really been going for like these he's been Interesting in his moves for the 49ers. Well, we really need to shore up the defensive line. And the sad thing is we've spent so many draft picks, you know, even before John Lynch. And we've invested so much in the defensive line and only um, – gosh, why am I blanking his name? Um, DeForest Buckner? Yeah, the, only DeForest Buckner is really showing up. Like Eric Armstead was a big disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they really needed to the get some, Yeah, they really needed to get some – because they need to pressure the quarterback. And that's one of the – the biggest weaknesses with the 49ers last year was their defense didn't get enough pressure on the quarterback, which caused their secondary to be running on islands for an extended period of time. And you can only run so – you can only chase a receiver for so long right. before you give up a big play. This is this is why, you know, somebody that is a mobile quarterback really disrupts everything. Yeah. You know, the, uh, so you're seeing that – I'm – this is like another topic for another day, but I'm really excited for like the, the future of football. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of like the way that your unconventional things are taking place, and that's a great thing. Like hashtag ruin the game, you know what I mean? So I'm really excited for some for the folks like uh, Kansas City who are just thinking outside the box. But I agree with you that yeah, if you don't have like a strong D line and if you don't have like enough speed or agility on there, you're gonna give up big plays all the time. Which kind of begs the question of what are the Chiefs going to do? They so they gave they, up. They they've cleaned a lot of the right. Roster. So no more D Ford. They gave up yeah. Justin Houston. No more Eric Berry. So, like, all of these, like, big Terry Kill guys, is, on, is in hot water. <laughs> yeah, but, like, the defense was their Achilles heel. And so, like, everybody on the defense that was a mainstay in Kansas City is now gone. Now, granted, last year, those guys were there, and they still weren't good. Yeah. But these were, like, the these were the homegrown guys that everybody came to knew came to know in Kansas City. Yeah. So, I, I don't, I'm not sure who they're going to replace them with, but... I guess when you're that bad, the only place to go is up. So, <laughs> you know. Speaking of which, uh, there was also I think the, the the Chiefs. I don't know if they formally did anything, but they they talked about it. Mm-hmm. They were saying, "Hey, we want a rule change in the overtime rules." Oh yeah. Right, we the rules right now are that if you don't score a touchdown in the first possession, then the other team can have a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, then it's it's just over, right? Um, so 
the Chiefs were saying, by the way, I'd, we'd love for both of us to have a chance to try and get a touchdown. Right. To be honest, they kind of already do have that chance, but I see what they're saying, which yeah. was like, this is like a miracle walk-off for a team that had been struggling the entire game, and then in the fourth quarter, the Patriots decided to play some defense right. and got really good. Um, well, the thing with the, the overtime rule change, right, was when you had sudden death, it made the winner of the coin flip, like, it, it basically determined the outcome of the game by the coin flip. Right. Because usually whoever won the coin flip is going to get into field goal territory. Right. And so they wanted to lessen the the luck effect, right? Yeah. And, and lessen the effect of the coin flip. That's why they changed it to, well, it's not going to be whoever scores first. That, but if you score a touchdown or if you score a defensive score on your first possession, then that, that'll win the game. But if you only score a field goal, then the other, chance, the other sure. side gets a chance. But now they're, what they're coming to realize, and as the Patriots have shown, even that is still giving the coin flip too much of the, like, emphasis. Emph- oh, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I was like, Matt's going to say emphasis. Too right much now. emphasis on the coin flip. <laughs> and so, you know, you saw in the Super Bowl where they beat the, the Falcons. You saw in the playoffs where they beat the Chiefs. They went, you know, they win the coin flip, they get the ball, and the game is basically over. Right. Um, now, the argument is obviously that. If the defense would have just stopped them from scoring a touchdown, then they could have just done that. But at that stage of the game, the way the number, the way how fast the game moves, um, the number of steps that defensive players have to play nowadays, I think when you actually look at it, yeah. So the the coin flip uh, being too powerful is still an issue. So how do you fix it? Do you go straight to college to the college format of overtime where everybody gets like a chance five, to possess five minutes? Well, you, everybody gets a chance to possess that the other person's twenty five, and you just yeah. and you just go keep going from there. You should just play another fifteen minutes. Like I, that's a lot of time, but at the same time, it's just like, time. dude, like I don't know. You should win it on the field. We've talked about this many times, which is there's just not enough games in the NFL, so it comes down to a lot of luck. But if there was like just like a time limit, maybe fine, like half it then, like seven minutes and thirty seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it should just be like basketball. I like, like that. That's a good. That's a good idea. Just, I like that. Didn't they have something like that before? No. So the the problem with the with football, right, is football is so violent that you wanted the game to be over as soon as possible, right? So yeah. after sixty minutes, you're like, we don't want to do another fifteen minutes because it's going to be too much. We know that they're just staying on the sidelines like ninety percent of the time. <laughs> like it's not. Even, it is violent when no, you're playing. It's but pretty. It's like, it's like it's the equivalent of like getting into like three car crashes a week or I something know, like yeah. that. It, it's it's <laughs> terrible. But what I'm saying is like the, there's just so many there's so many uh, room there's so much room for ads that yeah. it doesn't feel that way. Like, I I think what you do, and I think I think you actually caught on to something. I think is in the playoffs only. So playoffs only. I think you just say playoffs. Playoffs. I think you just say instead of like just having these wonky rules about oh okay if you score a touchdown your first possession or a defensive score blah blah blah. I think you just say what you just said like. Give them ten minutes or eight minutes if you, sure. if that's too long, and just say you're gonna have you're gonna play an eight minute quarter. Go at it. Yeah, you know? one time out each. One time out each. Eight minute quarter. Just do it. Yeah, and um, you you'll have the overtime. You you have the two minute play replay rules when it, when there's a two minute warning. Right. And that way, like if the Patriots it solves go and, a lot of problems. Yeah, if the Patriots go and score in the first like five minutes, well then you still have like a you know a few minutes left yeah. to to match it. 
Right. And then after that, then you just do some kind of something. And then else. obviously, like, yeah, if it's like if you're up by two two touchdowns, like you're 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 done, you're toast. Yeah. So if, I I wouldn't mind that because the college rule was like, hey, everybody starts at the twenty five, mm-hmm. and if you get a touchdown, then the team like you keep going until it's like the yeah. third one, right? Well, no, you just keep going. Like, remember last year, I think it was like Oklahoma and like West Virginia played like eight overtime. But after a certain time, you have to go for two. Yeah, you you have to start going for two. Right. Um, Atticus agrees with us. You have to start going for, that's what he was trying to remind us. But I think when, so what would you do for the second overtime? So say, for example, it was the Super Bowl. Then you get set in death. And then what do you do? Just kick field goals? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. Because <laughs> you can't keep playing more football. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. too much football. Because I, at that point, I think that is sudden death, though. Like one eight so, minute. So you throw like a pass through a tire? <laughs> like, what do you Precision do? drills? Drew Brees would win that every time. That'd be, that'd be kind of interesting if, if you had to think about it. Like because I don't think that you'd actually run into double overtime a lot. Yeah, because I think that one team is definitely going to overpower you and get a touchdown at least, or a field goal at least. Right. You know, the, the score is going to be different by the end of, unless like I don't know. Like I honestly don't think that there's actually going to be many double overtimes. Well, there's it, been a lot of ties lately. There has been, and that's so. kind of been leading to some some you know hurt feelings at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Like this past season, I think Seattle would have loved to not have that tie with like Green Bay or whatever, or was that two years ago? I can't remember. But in any case, I don't know. What would you do with double overtime then? I think um, – Because I agree with you that you can't keep playing. That's yeah. Very, um, it's very taxing. I think you just – I think you just go – Coin flip? Coin flip and then you go field goal for field goal. Because I, I think at that point, like, people's bodies are already too you, you start – you keep on going backwards. So it's like, okay, everyone's out of the 35. Yeah. And then the 40. Yeah. The 45. And then, like – It just comes down to the kickers. Janikowski fucking going to yeah. win it all the time. It just goes down to the kickers. 65. That would actually make the kicking job way more yeah. exciting and interesting. Yeah. It's like – it's basically like a shootout. Like, you know, like how you, how you have like a shootout that. Why aren't we commissioning the NFL? <laughs> we should be on the competition committee. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, you need to do this. This is how we're going to fix the Pro Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. We do the Pro Bowl at the end of the year so that Tom Brady will finally play. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go back to it. Yeah. Um, let's just finish up the NFL. What do you think? Who do you think we're, is going to draft Kyler Murray? Do you think the Arizona Cardinals are going to take him? I've heard that the, the Cardinals are already trying to make a move to try and get Kyler Murray. And then I also heard that the Raiders are interested. Um, if the Cardinals do it, great. I've heard that he's really. He's got big hands, and he's got he's he has he's, big hands. Yeah, he's taller than I originally texted you. I thought that he was like five nine, five ten. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's more like toward like five eleven, six feet, which is Russell Wilson height. He actually weighs a lot more than most people thought. People like which is he weighing? Well, people thought he was going to be pretty scrawny, but he's like two ten or something like that, two eleven. That's not bad. Yeah, because yeah. like Rogers is like two twenty something. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I. I if the if the Cardinals take him, fantastic. I think I you know more than I do about Kyler Murray. I know that he's got a great fastball because he's a baseball player, but I just good, don't know like touch. his his instincts. Is he more of like an instinctive quarterback where he's gonna like break contain, or is he like pocket passing and then he'll finally like check down? He honestly thing? he's done a lot more pocket passing in college than people give him credit for, and yeah. he, he does have really good anticipation on his throws, and he actually has really good touch. Um, so he really does have all the tools that you're looking for in a quarterback. The thing is, it, it's just as big as knock his his size. And people really, for a while, couldn't get around like the fact that he's five nine, is he five ten? Like, 
I think I wouldn't worry about the height yeah, part. I, I mean, I understand that that linemen are getting taller than this, but Doug Flute is like five seven. Drew Brees is like six feet. If you know that. You know what they did with Russell Wilson is every almost every play Rolls is from out. The, well, from the shotgun, they actually put him back a couple yards deeper. Rather than five yards, like seven yards. Back. Yeah, it's like seven yards, so that yeah. you know, like he has better his his vision. field of vision is better. Yeah, and also he's got enough arm strength to get it there. Yeah. Um, so, Kyler Murray, I have no doubts about his arm strength. Um, I, I was just curious because you know Oklahoma kind of runs a scheme offense sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you'll see like the Jason Whites of the world, or you see like the um, who's the other guy, the Sam. Oh, Sam, not Sam Donald. Sam. No. Um, Sam. He was on so many teams. How are we forgetting yeah, what his name he's, is? He's got like a hundred million dollars in the bank and yeah. he's still gonna get paid like Sam Bra- Bradford. Bradford, right. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it kinda like runs gimmicky offenses sometimes with Bob Stoops. Although I don't think Bob Stoops is there anymore, right? No, it's been a while. So yeah. they, they have Lincoln Riley and they run this like counter tray yeah. mixed with uh you know, we talked about it before, this kind of like counter tray offense mixed with like um some uh, air raid. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. But if you're if you're you know, if you're backing up Somebody like Baker Mayfield, or if he came through after Baker Mayfield, it's a pretty legit program. Baker Mayfield has panned out, and he came from that program as well. So we'll see what happens. But I, I'd i love for him to go to the Cardinals, mostly because we'd see him more because yeah. he's in the West. <laughs> Do you really just hate Josh Rosen that much? I, it's not that I hate Josh Rosen. I, I just don't. Like he he wasn't the my my favorite the quarterback. chosen Rosen. Yeah, he wasn't my favorite quarterback last year. Um, but I think he's kind of getting a raw deal because he's they fired his like offensive coordinator mm-hmm. and he also had like a different head coach or what have you. And then this is his first season. He's like, you know, he's a he's a rookie playing on a pretty big stage and he just really hasn't had time to acclimate. And so do I think that he's going to be like a project that people are going to give up on? Not really. I think he's he potentially could still have another starting spot, but yeah. I just don't think that it's like. <laughs> It's it's almost like a Washington situation where you take where you take RG three in the first round and then you take uh, what's his face in like the third round. Oh, uh, Kirk. Uh, Kirk, Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Yeah, yeah. where it's like, where's the confidence in me? You know, like yeah. let me prove to you at least that I can do something. So, I would hate for him to go to the Cardinals just because they're in our division. But and you, and you think he's a good quarterback? I think he's good. Yeah, uh, he's he he'd be a problem for our defense for sure. Um, I would love for him to go to Miami. Just because it's been so long since Miami's had a really good quarterback, and I—that's one of those like Miami's one of those teams. Or I feel like when the Dolphins are really good, it makes the NFL better. They yeah. did get rid of Tannehill. Yeah, they did. And I just read rumor today that Kaepernick might be interested in Miami. Oh, that'd be interesting. But that's an issue because they—they don't have. A, I don't know who their quarterback is right now. They don't have any. It's uh, it's what's his face, the backup from uh, Hard Knocks, oh, <laughs> Matt. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Matt who, Moore. Matt Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he, was, he was actually a decent quarterback until he gets injured. But, uh, but yeah, that's a good play there because Miami is fun to watch. But they would have to give up like three first rounders and like a bunch of second round. They would have to like overpay. They would have to give up a king's ransom. Where are they right now in the draft? Order? Um, I think they're in. I think they're in the, the top lower 10. half. Okay, if they're in the top ten, they, they they suck last year. Yeah, I mean they're, they're fun to watch. You're right though, but they you know they got rid of Frank Gore. Frank Gore is in Buffalo now, um, and their quarterback was Tannehill, who sucked, and so they're finally getting rid of him. And yeah, I just felt like ever since Dan Marino left, they haven't had a good snowflake. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
I'm telling you, Ace Ventura, really good movie. Oh, they're <laughs> they're picking at uh, they're picking thirteenth. Dan Marino, yeah, full circle. Uh, all right, well, that's it about the NFL and football stuff. We'll see what happens. Kyler Murray, where do you think he's going to go? You want him to go to Miami, but he's where do you go, think he's going? He's going to go to the Cardinals. He's going to go to the Cardinals. I mean. So you look at here's uh, the top five. It's Cardinals, Niners, Jets, Raiders, Bucks. Cardinals, Niners, Jets, Ravens, Bucks. Raiders, Bucks. Raiders, Bucks. So Cardinals and Raiders are the only ones. You that know, really four of those five teams need a quarterback. <laughs> four Niners don't need one. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals I think, could pick one up. I think the Bucks are kind the of Ravens. Like, they got rid of uh, what's his face. They, uh, the Raiders. Oh, the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, Car, you 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 get an instant upgrade if you had Kyler Murray. The Bucks. I think they're done with the Jameis Winston experiment. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you never know. Could be the Giants. The Giants might move up. They're the Giants pick. definitely need a quarterback. They're picking They're picking six. And then Eli is like 35 years yeah. old now. And the Jaguars also Jaguars also are picking number seven, and they got they just cut Blake Bortles. So. Nobody wants Blake Bortles. <laughs> they, they, they announced it on Twitter. It's like, we have waived. or we, It's either we've waived or we've cut Blake they Bortles cut or him, released yeah. Blake Bortles. Yeah. And nobody was like running to the phone to go pick up nobody Blake Bortles. Cares. Yeah. So anyway, have fun working as a uh, <laughs> consultant for ESPN, getting right. paid mad money. So then we have a. So let's let's transition into NBA. Yeah, let's. Um, KD and LeBron James, you 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 wanted to talk about their shows. Yeah, this is kind of like another tease into the legacy thing, yeah. and and sort of just. The way that players these days are able to handle their own legacy. And partially is that um, we have just so much access to them now. We have so much access to the way that these athletes are performing, the way that these athletes are doing things off the court. You know, LeBron has his The Shop show uh, where he's basically getting a haircut every time and a shave with like one or two celebrities and his agent. And then Katie just recently debuted with like The Boardroom where he's also doing sort of the same thing with his agent, Rich uh, Rich Kleiman? Yeah, Rich Kleiman. Rich Kleiman and also another a few other celebrities. So the reason why this is like a little bit more of an interesting topic is because uh, Anthony Davis came on to the shop with LeBron and was like, you know, I'm in control of my own destiny, uh, my own brand. And it's like, dude, you're 25 years old. You don't really know how to read a contract. And I can't really – I understand that you want to make decisions – that will impact your future, but are you really in control of it? No, I would say that there's actually a lot of people in control of your destiny, and while while you might be able to have a say in it, you're not actually the one that's going to be able to like negotiate every nick and cranny of it. You still need a lot of help, and you're 25. Like you've been playing for a while, but that doesn't make negate the fact that you're like a child, <laughs> you know. So it's it's funny to me to have all these like storylines of legacy and whatever else when you you just became a dominant player like three years ago yeah i don't know he's he's had all this talent for like all his you know ever since when he was at um kentucky kentucky right yeah um and they won the national championship so i i don't begrudge people for for wanting to do other things outside of the sport that they play in um it is interesting though that um nowadays they you know these athletes seem to be making decisions not just for basketball reasons, but for what's going to set them up for their other business opportunities. So a lot of people are talking about like KD now with the Warriors, you know, Silicon Valley, all the other business opportunities that that like gives them. And then with LeBron, obviously being in LA, 
Hollywood. You know, he has his business like headquarters set up in L.A. Um, everybody's becoming the mogul. It's pretty crazy. By the way, did you know that Jay Z is a billionaire? I thought that he had been a billionaire. I didn't know that, man. Because I remember last time I had seen like lifestyles of the rich and famous or whatever or the Forbes list. Like yeah, Jay Z yeah. was like valued at like maybe like four hundred million, and that was like the highest in hip hop. It yeah. was like him and him and Diddy were like like vying for the number one spot. It was like can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, it was like the most. Uh, Ten like, years from now, we'll still be on the top. richest like hip hop person, but. Yeah. One billion dollars? That's really? pretty good. I mean, like, that's great. And he didn't have to sell vodka to do it. Uh, well, he tried to he tried to sell alcohol. Ciroc! <laughs> well, his uh remember Armadale? I do not. But it also was... he had his clothing line, which also was Rockaware, yeah. Rock-a-ware. Um but you yeah, know, I mean I'm I'm not surprised. I mean, like he's he's invested in a lot of things. Not just uh not just title. Yeah, not just Mydle. Mydle, yeah. Our our <laughs> our music brand. But you know he's invested in a lot of things, just like uh, like he says in his uh, raps. He's like he's buying artwork for his kids that are going to be valued at like thirty million dollars by the time like they're able to go to college. So, um, so do you have any uh, concluding thoughts on this? Like L- uh, KD LBJ? Yeah, the concluding thoughts are just like it's fantastic that you're doing it, but also at the same time, like you're you're able to craft your own narrative, mm-hmm. but don't be so up your own butt about you know what. What other people are calling out, you know, you shouldn't be so sensitive about. And I mean, this is not just toward KD. This is toward LeBron, too. Like, you shouldn't be so sensitive about what other people are pointing out about what you're doing wrong with your legacy or what have you. You know, like, these people have also been paying attention to sports and your your own path that they're able to say, like, LeBron, why are you being such a punk to the Laker team? You know, you're the one that instigated this trade, so why are you, like, playing coy with them now? You yeah. know, you should really be aware of all the facets and as somebody who wants to control their own narrative, you know, you're going to spin it however you want, but don't be so like I, the term I really want to use is like chicken shit. It's like, don't be so chicken shit to like the fact that you might not be like the most amazing person that you think that you are. Yeah. And I, I don't like how all these like celebrities want to be celebrities. They want the limelight. They don't want the fame. They want the money. They want everything that wants that comes with that, except for the criticism and the scrutiny. Right. And so, like, you see that with KD and Kyrie. They're like, why are you asking me about where I'm going to go? Why are you asking me about all this speculation right. about, like, what free agency and all that? It's like, dude, first of all, you have a chance to put a rest or put an end to all of that con- right. like speculation just by making a statement. You could just make a general statement. Yeah, you could, you could put an end to it very quickly. But right. second of all, like, you're, that's, that's your doing, you know? Like, it's your actions that are prompting the speculation. And then third, like... This is the price of fame, dude. Yeah, like, you right. know, like people are going to scrutinize you and they're going to scrutinize every one of your moves. And if right. you don't like it, maybe you really don't want to be famous. So, yeah. could, you know, don't talk like you want to be a mogul and not have to deal with all that kind right. of stuff. So, we'll get more into that later. But, um, Matt, you want to talk about a Warriors update? Um, you know, the Warriors have been up and down. Um, in February, they had a really good February. You know, they, I think they won like almost. I like how you say they've been up and down with like number one in the West. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. Warrior I know what you standards, mean. they're up yeah, and down. Yeah. So, like, they had a really good February. I think in the last, like, seven games, they wa- they lost maybe three or four. Maybe, I think it might have even been five of the last seven they've, they've lost. Um, yeah. It, they've been on kind of like a, a, a losing streak. Or right. an up and down. I don't know. You're right. Yeah. But so, yeah. you know, recently they just beat... Um, they, beat they lost to the Suns and then they beat the... Um, Gosh, what am I... 
is is this quote unquote statement in the Rockets? The Rockets, yes. Yeah. Without KD, and yes. KD, and, and we're recording this on a Saturday. KD's not playing today either, right? Uh, and they're playing OKC, right? Um, but the biggest issue with the Warriors is their defense and their defensive intensity, and really just really they're just lackadaisical approach to certain games. Have you heard about their the their offense? How people were saying like, hey, without KD, you know, ball movement, they they move the ball more, and that's mm-hmm. what's been getting them the wins in the past few years. Yeah. So it's not so much, so much just the defense, which has been atrocious. I think like with KD and Steph like on the court, it's like their defensive rating is like one eighteen, and then like with them off the court, it's like one nineteen or whatever. It's like it's barely significant. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I would agree with you that there's a significant defensive lapse, but also I'm curious about what their offense is doing because. Steve Kerr has been messing with a lot of the rotations to figure yeah. out what sticks. Yeah, he's trying to find a good one, yeah. And I think he's kind of getting around to it, especially mm-hmm. now that there's like 17 or 16 games left, where he understands that, yeah, you can't really play Boogie and KD together, and you can't really play like Steph and KD, or I'm sorry, KD and uh, Draymond and, and, K- and Boogie together. Um, you kind of want to like split them up, and you really want to like, have Clay like either with Katie and Steph at all times, yeah. Um, and then Iggy is like really like the glue guy. He, like he's again like background. He's like CA. He's kind of like rejuvenated uh, this year. That's he looks because he, he shaved his head. <laughs> he looks a lot. He, one, he looks a lot more athletic. Um, he's making threes at a higher clip than he did yeah, last that's year. Right? Yeah. Um, and his general like aggressiveness and decision making looks. It's reminiscent of the old, like, Iguodala. 15 Iguodala? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but your prediction here about the, the biggest challenge heading into the playoffs, yeah, I think it's really just them. Like, it's all just in internal team stuff, right? Yeah. You know, whether it's, like we mentioned earlier, Kerr maybe blowing up the team or Draymond blowing up the team or, quite honestly, their defensive rating, you know... I, I was listening to a different podcast and they were just like, you know, the Warriors didn't really turn on to like the finals last season. Yeah. And I was like, and then they, they really just like dominated. And I was like, that's a weird thought because it's, it's kind of true. Cause I think they could have finished off the, the Rockets earlier, but you know, like to what you're saying, it, the Rockets were playing really like difficult ISO ball and they just didn't really didn't move it with they the Warriors. They match up really well with the Warriors and they have this intensity that the Warriors actually struggle to match. So, I mean, I think who the first two rounds were. I think it was like the Pelicans and the Blazers. Am I right about that? I want to say it was Utah, but I can't remember. That might have been the year before. The year before, they just dominated. They were mad. Yeah, you know, they they like swept everybody, except yeah. for like they lost. They dropped that one game in Cleveland. Um, yeah, but it would have been sixteen and zero. They were sixteen and one that that season that they won uh, the rematch the redemption year. Yeah, but they. I mean, they played pretty well, and. Obviously, you know, things might have been different if Chris Paul didn't get injured. Um, and sure. even then, they had to get it out in seven seven games. So, yeah. I mean, it, was, it was really tough. And it them. actually could have been the opposite way, you know? Yeah. We always make fun of, like, 0-27 or what have you. But you know, if they make, like, seven of those, mm-hmm. that's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 21 points. It comes out to, like, who shows up, right? Right. So... This year, I don't know. Do you really see a big challenge for them in, in the Western Conference? I'm actually more scared. I, I am too. Of the Eastern Conference. Oh, you're scared of the Eastern Conference? Mm-hmm. Of uh, Milwaukee and Toronto? 
or even the Sixers because the Sixers have always been Sixers playing. Sixers have been big. Yeah. They've been they've been playing the Warriors very tough. I've been curious to see what the you know the second games are in the West. You typically play people four times in your conference, and then like maybe like two to three times mm-hmm. in the other conferences in the West. And then the East is really just twice, right? Once there and once at home. So I'm always curious to see what the second game is whenever because we lost to the Seventy Sixers, and I think that we lost to them again. <laughs> But I can't remember. But in any case, yeah, the the guy, the length, the size spooks me out um, in the East. Yeah, it's it's you have some really exciting teams coming out of the East. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how they play. I mean, the other thing too is um, everybody's saying don't count out the Thunder. They really can make a run this year. They and Paul have- George is playing. Like MVP type level, right? And and uh, Westbrook has found a shot again, so it's it's kind of like a, a really interesting spot for OKC. But in terms of the West, you and I have talked about this. Everyone's talked about this. People aren't really afraid of the Warriors anymore. They've also figured them out. Like mm-hmm. they're also trying to. They're also playing switch. They're also yeah. playing small ball. They're also getting bigger and lengthier. Right. So shooting a lot of threes. To be fair, like the Warriors did ruin the game, but everyone has also caught up. So it's kind of like equalized, more or less. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you, as a Warrior fan, we we can kind of sense we're unless something drastic happens, like Giannis comes over in a couple of years, like we kind of are at the tail end. Now, I I do think though that any you know with Steph and KD, like in our backcourt, as long as they're Warriors, and I I, mean, I have you no. Mean, you mean Clay and KD? All right, Clay and Steph. I'm sorry, you... sorry, Steph and Clay. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. With Steph and Clay, I mean, we're always going to have a chance. I agree. Gonna... I think that that's like a great core. There. Yeah, and I'm, and if the Warriors, I I highly doubt they would do anything other than offer Clay the max. And if they ever do, if... I think in the games in which he's been absent and then he comes back, there's no. This is like all the evidence you need to give him a max. Contract. Oh, he needs to get and plus, he needs to get a max contract. It's not like the Warriors are hurting for money. I mean, dude, they're. They have money pouring out their like eyeballs. I agree, like, but also like people who don't think Clay is a max player is like he's a max player. You see him on defense, and then you also see him on the offense. Like he's without him, this the floor shrinks so much. Like their mm-hmm. offense is so stagnated, um, and also he's like been jamming it more this season, which I think is like a personal slight. He's, <laughs> like people don't think I can go to the the rim, and it's like dude, this guy's had like fourteen like slam dunks in the past like ten games. Yeah, so. It'll be interesting. I mean, the playoffs obviously are, you know, like about a month away or something. A little bit less than that. Yeah, a little bit less than that, yeah. So, you know, we still have a little bit more basketball to go, but, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting. It's to exciting see play, times. Yeah. I'm, I'm, playoff basketball is a different breed, man. Like, yeah. your passes are way crisper. So, you you had brought up a question. Is LeBron slowing down or is the West just tougher than LBJ thought? And this is obviously like in response to like one, the Lakers are not going to make the playoffs. Right. Two, LeBron's playing like crap, and he's like his defense he's is like taking. I mean, terrible. Th- this also comes up because the question keeps on arising for every game that he's playing: Is LeBron James like the greatest player ever? And to me, it's like, no, he's not. You cannot say that he's the greatest player ever if he's if he's like taking games off, if he's like upset, and like he's like not really fighting for like wins, even though he's like, you know. Uh, that even though he like kind of sucks, you know what I mean, like it, it or the Lakers suck. Like I'm not trying to like play. Uh, I'm not trying to be lame and be like, oh well, you know, Kobe dragged his team to the playoffs, and so did MJ at this age. It's more just like from all the body language, all like the self posturing, all this like what we just talked about two topics ago of the whole entire like narrating your own destiny kind of thing. It's like LeBron, dude. If you want to be great, be great. 
stop worrying about like what your what your you know what your online image looks like. Just play basketball. Everyone knows that you're the greatest talent of your generation. But are you the greatest player ever? F that. Like, there's no way that MJ would do this. You know what I mean? Like, MJ would freaking die on I, I, I love how the question was, is he slowing down? Or is it much just tougher than you thought? And you were like, I transitioned to legacy. <laughs> and I'm like getting off the rails. And I'm like all pissed off. <laughs> like, it's the West is tough. That's my thing. LeBron has slowed down. But at the same time, like, dude, he's he's got a great training regimen, you know. But I think the West is just way tougher than he thought it was going to be. I just don't like how – like, I get it, right? You're not going to win the championship this year, right? And I get that. Now that you're not going to make the playoffs, you're going to preserve your body even more. But even when they had a chance to make the playoffs, he was playing very lackadaisical, saving his energy. He was preserving, you know, his energy. And, you know, there's a, that, that famous clip that – Everybody was playing over and over again where Kyle Kuzma, like where LeBron didn't close out on the shooter and Kuzma had to push him to close out. And it just shows you like if your greatest, if your best player on your team is not playing as hard out, then what example does that set for the rest of the team? And the really sad thing is last year, this core of the Lakers, right? You know, when they had Ball, Kuzma, you know, um, Hart. And um, Ingram, they actually closed out the season on the good note. And everyone's like, oh, okay, well, this this core starting to come together. The talent's starting to, to gel. Yeah. And with LeBron, you know, it's going to be exciting. And instead, I feel like LeBron made the team worse. I think so, too. I think that kind of comes with the territory, right? You know, LeBron wants to create a team that will fit his – what he wants to play in uh, as a style, which is, hey, like, at this time, I want to have a whole bunch of shooters around me. I want the ball – I want to be the only person like driving to the rim. If I'm playing ISO, then I want to play ISO. Everyone else just like runs. You know, you have a Delavadova, you have like a Kevin Love, you have like um, uh, uh, a Shumpert or what have you uh, on the perimeter all the time, just ready to like shoot a three if nothing goes right. And that's just not how the Lakers are designed to play. That's not how Luke Walton wants to play. But that's how the the front office has grown to appease LeBron. And it's just like LeBron. If you go into like the front office after your games are done, which I think a lot of people want him to do, he's gonna be a Michael Jordan type of uh, GM, where it's like you're picking freaking what's his face from Gonzaga, uh, Adam, Adam Adam Morrison, Adam Morrison, <laughs> like third overall, and he washes out like in eight months. You know what I mean? This is not a great thing for LeBron in terms of like his own legacy. Well, yeah, Le GM has rightly been. Lamb bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry that I'm just like so upset about this LeBron talk. I just, it, again, it really irks me to, to the nth degree that people consider him the best player of all time <laughs> when you can't even like act seriously in these games that mean nothing. You know what I mean? Like, again, like I grew up watching Michael Jordan. I didn't grow up watching Larry Bird and I didn't grow up watching like Dr. J and, and the, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s basketball. Like watching like eighties and nineties basketball, and again, I can tell you with a certain like level of confidence that not even like somebody like uh, MJ, let's just say like freaking Charles Barkley would never let this happen either. You know, like he's such a dog that yeah. like he would freaking like fight all the way to the end here. Even he was on the Phoenix Suns. You know what I mean? Like the Phoenix Suns, the Rockets, and the Seventy Sixers. Like he wanted to win all the time, and it wasn't about like oh man. How am I going to – like, he punched people in the face. He punched reporters in the face. 
Just because like they were like smack talking him or what have you. And just, <laughs> is this is this your example of how 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 good of a player he is? <laughs> yeah, like this is really getting off the rails into like a LeBron haterade thing. But yeah, I cannot with a good clean conscience say LeBron is like the best player. <laughs> In any case, that's not even the question. He's slowing down, and the West is way harder than he anticipated. I'm glad that he's not going to make the playoffs because this just goes to show you that, like, dude, you can't just think that you're going to roll into town and make the playoffs. The crazy thing is, like, you really see him, like, really preserving his body throughout the regular season. And, again, look, I know that out of all the players in the history of the NBA, at this stage in your career, he's had more minutes than, than all of them. You know, sure. Um, I'm I'm talking about at his age, right? Right, right. Then then comparable players have had at his age because he's played so much basketball. Right. At the same time, with technological advances, with the advances in sports medicine, and you know nutritional health and all that stuff, you know he's doing everything that he can to preserve his body, and he spends millions and millions of dollars to preserve his body. So he has those advantages that nobody else had. I just don't think. You, you see the same kind of fire and desire. Oh, fire and desire. Are we yeah. rapping now? We're first island? No, it's an R&B song. Boom, boom. Um, <laughs> but you don't see that same type of just maniacal will to win that you right. saw like in these other superstars like Michael, Jack- Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> Michael Jackson always wanted to win too. Though. Oh, don't get me no, – yeah, let's not, let's not go down that path. That's a different day. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, going down that path kind of touches me. Anyways, uh, anyways. But my final thoughts on that are just that, like, for, for LeBron James, you know, I just, I I hate reading things on Twitter in which uh, you're just making all, you're taking all these stats and you're comparing it to like, oh, well, Michael never did this. It's like, Michael also went to college for three years and he also won a national championship. So you're like, oh, in the name, they... LeBron James surpassed Michael Jordan in points scored total in career in like 100 games less. It's like, yeah, there's also hand checking and also like you, whatever, like the, whatever, whatever stat that you're finding, you can always find a different stat. Oh, well, Michael Jordan wore a fresh pair of Jordans every time he stepped on the court. How about that? You know, like all these stats are like ridiculous. You know what I mean? <laughs> what I'm saying is like, you can just pull any stat. Like how there's always like, I don't know, like the the like the way that we the, the way they're talking about stats these days. You literally pull any sort of comparison, you can and you can have it as like a pull quote. It's ridiculous to me. I feel like I gotta pour some cold water on you right now, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta cool down for a little bit. Let's move on to baseball. Yeah. All right. So at the in the last episode, we talked about how the two biggest stars in baseball, two biggest free agents, were not signed. How it was a sign of something bad in the baseball market and the strike was coming. Well, a few days after we had recorded that podcast, Manny, Manny Machado was signed by the Padres for $300 million. And a few a couple of weeks, I think two or three weeks after that, Harper finally signed, signed his deal. $330 million over 13 years with the Surprise, Phillies. you're welcome. <laughs> Well, so I don't think we're I don't think we're wrong though in the sense that you know there still is a market issue. So, with Harper, for example, three hundred thirty million dollars over thirteen years doesn't get him higher annually than let's say a Rod in in the in two thousand and like six or whatever in the peak of his career with the Texas you know? Rangers. And thinking about it now, like that's a long time ago, and he's making the same average, everything the same <laughs> right. like over. So, the thing is with Harper. 
you know, the the Dodgers had approached him with a really big contract, but for a shorter amount of time. The Giants, I think, were at like three hundred ten million. Three hundred ten. Yeah, and so the Phillies beat him by by twenty mil. Yeah, but what Harper really wanted, and what he told Scott Boris, his agent, was, "I want the security. I want the long term security. That's why when they got when they agreed to the thirteen year, you know, three hundred thirty million dollar contract, they included in there no trade clause." And that's a hell of a commitment to make right. to any player. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at this. One is that you know Harper got his payday. A lot of a lot of people are going to focus on the overall like raw number, not including in not factoring in like like you said inflation, not factoring in you know the rising revenues in baseball, not factoring <laughs> right. in all these other Which things. Which you talked about last time that were recorded. Yeah. So like when you get to year eight, nine, let alone year 11, 13, you know, like this contract is actually going to not be as lucrative as, yeah, that's, as, that's a good term. Yeah. you know, we, all of us are initially thinking. I feel like, you know, sports agents, a lot of them are attorneys. Uh, maybe you should have a sports agent that's like a banker. Because that way you can have, like, it's the same way that you have, like, you know, interest rate on a house where it's, like, it has balloon payments where it's, like, yeah. oh, well, each year it's, like, oh, the first year it's, like, 1% and, then like, 2%. And, like, at the end of, like, 20 years, it would be, like, 30%. But you only have, like, you know, your principal is only, like, uh, a fraction of what it was. It's, like, maybe they should start doing that. <laughs> well, I don't I don't think this is what he – this is what Harper wanted. I'm sure Scott Boris is, is smart enough and Harper smart enough to understand that, like, look – in year 13 of my contract, it's not going to be worth that much relative to the rest of the market. Plus, yeah. By then, we'll be eating soybeans with paying with credits. True. And, it, you know, it'll be like Interstellar where there's going to be a great <laughs> blight. We're all going to be going to be corn farmers. And then Matthew McConaughey is going to be trying to find a way to, like, land us through the wormhole. His daughter was the ghost. Or he, or he was the ghost for his daughter. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Jessica Chastain will we'll save us all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, that's what he wanted. And, you know, for the Phillies, when you think about it from that perspective, it's a good deal. The Phillies have a really good team. They have some very exciting young prospects like the Padres sure. do. And it's a good time for them to start investing in winning now. Like the San Diego Padres have the number one farm system in all of baseball. Yeah, you so, showed me that's that. Yeah, and they so they have some really game. exciting prospects that are, are going to be coming up soon so that, you know, Manny Machado – well, and he's still pretty young, you know, when, when the prospects, you know, come into the big leagues and they start playing for the Padres, you know, Machado will be there to help stabilize the lineup. And, um, you know, the hope is that, like, the Padres will actually have a chance at winning some World Series. And he's going to have $300 million living in San Diego. Right. You think Philip Rivers wouldn't take that? Yeah. <laughs> pretty nice life. Yeah. Well, that's why Philip Rivers still lives in San Diego. He still lives in San Yeah, he, he drives. Yeah, he drives. He commutes to L.A. To L.A. to go practice. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty, yeah, that's dedication. And he has like 15 kids or whatever or whatever it is. <laughs> With 15 more on the way. Yeah. 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 Philip Rivers has like a kid for every year he's been in the NFL. <laughs> it's crazy. He can afford it. Yeah. So I, I still, I still think we, our initial like prognosis of the problem in baseball is right because the revenues are still rising. Revenues are rising. Contract uh, salaries are not increasing relative to uh, the uh, economic system and right. also to to uh, owner uh, uh, ownership revenues. Yeah. And so it it'll be, but you know, for baseball, it'll be interesting to see how that power balance plays out because you know. I'm really surprised that the Yankees didn't go after Harper. Well, let me ask you this. 
Is it weird? Like, do you think that there's going to be some sort of, like, fan revolt? Um, likely not in terms of the fan revolt, but maybe just, like, um, an ownership revolt versus, like, the Players Association for MLB if, if somebody were to say, by the way, I think my contract should actually be $600 million. You know, um, like, would the owners be like, that's way too much, young man. Like, you don't understand well, finance the way that we do. Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about, what is there going to be a lockout versus a strike, right? So the lockout is, like, what is... You know, work stoppage by the owners and strike is work stoppage by the by the employees, uh-huh. by the players, and I think the owners like it the way it is, and yeah, they're going to be very loath to give give up their power, and you know, whenever you're talking about a player strike in professional sports, it's always a dicey proposition because there's always going to be a bunch of players at the lower end of the spectrum that are yeah, going to say like affected the most. Yeah, they're going to like. I can't live unless I play. I know. And they're going to, you Which know. Which causes gonna, the whole scab situation. Right. And they're going to defect. And then you're going to get replacement players. And you're going to have all this stuff, though. Well, I mean, yeah. just, just from an optics perspective, is $600 million a lot to see a player get on a contract? Well, I mean, it depends on what sport you're talking about. But, like, relative to the value in terms of absolute dollars that they bring to whatever team they are, probably not. You know, okay. You know, people are talking about like um, people are getting mad at like Zion Williamson, right? For um, playing again? No, about uh, well, playing again, but like, you know, let's say that Zion Williamson got caught like you know selling his shoes, and that would be against NCAA viol- you know, NCAA rules, and he get he would get fined, and you know, he would get in trouble for that, right? So he can't make money selling sh- like a pair of autograph mem- memorabilia with his name on it. Right. But Duke University can make millions upon millions of dollars off of him and merchandising. And EA Sports can make millions and millions of dollars off of and, his likeness. And the NCAA, yeah, yeah. NCAA can make millions and millions of dollars off of him. So when you think about the economic impact of these stars – yeah, I mean, I think it could be as high as six hundred million. It could be high as like a billion. You know, that's a great segue into the college admission scandal. Oh, there we go. So you just talked about Zion Williams there, and you talked about how sports and athletic scholarships are um, very, very worthwhile for some athletes. You were reading an article, and this is kind of like shifting into maybe even a main topic that we should have thought about. But uh, we were we were shifting into like the idea of this college this college scholarship scandal. Just in a nutshell, all these parents from wealthy backgrounds had been "quote unquote" bribing, allegedly, I suppose, uh, either SAT or SAT administrators, as well as college uh, admissions officials. Not on Becky. Yeah, on Becky from Full House in the nineties. <laughs> Basically, they'd been they they had been charged with bribing and conspiring to get yeah. their kids into these some elite colleges, some just like. Average colleges, uh, but they'd paid like two hundred fifty thousand dollars per child, or five hundred thousand dollars per yeah. child to get into these universities. Yeah, it's, it's not just that they were like um, creating fraudulent documents, like making up awards that these kids won that that don't even exist. Yeah, they were photoshopping like heads of their like uh, of their children onto like other like, athletic bodies. Yeah, um, so it's just all kinds of rampant fraud going on, yeah. and then they were paying people to just accept it. You know, right? And so the the question that I add for you is that I've seen this a lot in sports, where uh, uh, either like a head coach might give like his son or daughter a walk on scholarship that 
could go to somebody else. Mm-hmm. They have zero athletic ability. They're never going to get on the field. Right. But I want to give them a shot to go to the school where I'm coaching because why not? It's a yeah. perk for me. And you see it all the time in other sports type things where, you know, somebody might not be as athletically gifted, but I will give them this because they're a family friend or what have you, you know. But I don't really see it a lot in academics. And then you also brought up another great point about the sports scholarship for, I guess, not even Title IX, but just affirmative action in general. Um, but I'd, le- I'd love to hear your thoughts on the the scandal side of it, and then more specifically on the, the sports side of it. And I guess maybe we can talk about the the academic side, but to be fair, the academic side is like much more vanilla than the the sports side. You mean, by vanilla, you mean much more white? <laughs> much more white, too. I mean, as like a double entendre. <laughs> well, okay. So, I mean, disclaimer, right? I, I've written papers about affirmative action. I'm an ardent supporter of it. So, um, like, college admissions is near and dear to Mark. Because I really do believe, like, like President Bartlett of the West Wing believe, like, <laughs> Education could be the silver bullet. Like, it could be the great equalizer for everything, you know, like poverty, drugs, crime, you know, you name it. Like, like education has the power to lift everybody. That being said, right? A lot of people, specifically rich people, right? And specifically rich white people have a lot of advantages that not a lot of other people have. So you're talking about legacy admissions, right? That's right. that's something that's not merit-based that, that gives people a leg up in college That admissions. is actually something that they ask you on the Ivy Leagues. Yeah. Legacy in admissions your, are admission really, really paper. big. It's There's no big secret – it's it's not a big secret that if you donate, if one of your uh, – if your dad or your family member is a donor to one of these big institutions like Harvard or Yale or Princeton or whatever, that's going to give you a leg up in admissions. You know, if your name like is – if your family name is on the school gym, you know, chances are you're probably going to get in. Sure. Um, and that's another way of, quote, unquote, bribing or gaming the system if you have money. Um, so you have less on the FBI's radar that way. But that's legal. That's exactly. Le- that's legal. <laughs> yeah. So, that, I mean, the thing is, the point I'm trying to make is that there are all of these things in college admissions that are not merit-based. Mm-hmm. And yet, a lot of people always focus on affirmative action as a thing that takes away, you know, seats from from other like you know deserving people. Sure, and <laughs> it just calls to mind like all of these things, uh, all of the ways that college admissions is gamed and skewed towards the rich and the powerful. Um, there's a great article in the Atlantic that talks about how college athletics is the affirmative action for white people, and specifically rich white people. And the reason why is. When you think of college athletics, most people think of the big sports, right? You think of football or basketball. And you think of football or basketball being predominantly like uh, dominated by black people. Mm-hmm. The thing is, football and basketball, in terms of the sub, the making up a portion of the entire college athletic body, of all the college athletes in the school, is small. Because you right. have all of these sports, specifically at, like if, you, if you're looking at the big schools like Stanford – uh, University of Texas, or even Harvard, or like just think about all the big athletic schools, Duke and all that. Their football and basketball programs like con- like constitute like just a small portion of all of the sports, correct? And the sports teams that are out there, and a lot of these sports are sports that a lot of less affluent people, or like poor people, or people from urban communities don't have access to. So you're talking about sailing, you're talking about 
swimming and diving, which is not in a lot of urban communities. Right. You're talking about tennis. You're talking water about lacrosse, polo. water polo. Fencing. Fencing? Yeah. You're talking about – so these are like – I'll just tell you. When I grew up, you know, I grew up in Vallejo. Yes. We didn't have water polo. We didn't have fencing. We didn't have male volleyball. We didn't have lacrosse. Right. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of these things. So we're like, it skews towards the rich and towards the predominantly white. That's and that's just the way it is. And so that's, that's one of the things despite, that's kind of problematic. Despite the fact that, that national tension kind of goes toward football, basketball. football, basketball, because yeah. again, they, they, they draw a lot of revenue. However, yeah. that's just, they're exciting spectator sports yeah. compared to like equestrian. And so the reason why that matters is if you have a kid that gets into a college on an athletic scholarship, oftentimes the admissions councils will let them in with lower test scores and lower GPAs. And interesting, you get so you get the athlete bump. Yeah. So that's why you know that article in the Atlantic was talking about like you know college sports is the affirmative action for white people because you can get in. With a lot lower SAT scores, a lot lower GPA, if you say my kid's this like really great fencer, or he's this fantastic water polo player, or this fantastic lacrosse player, right? Um, and so the way that ties in to what's going on with the college admission scandals is you have these rich people basically who, you know, presumably have access to all of these other sports, and yet they're sure. still paying and bribing people. To get into these uber rich schools, right? USC, right? Spoiled children, right? I, I just want to say quickly on the USC thing. So my, my boss and I, we were talking about it at work, and we were just uh, we were like, "Wow, for some of these schools, like, why would you even want to try and bother to go to like?" And we both finished each other's sentence of saying USC. <laughs> <laughs> we just laughed. Why would you? We laughed hard. I was like, "Why would you spend all the time trying to get a USC?" <laughs> not not that USC isn't great, but when when Matt and I were applying, USC's acceptance rates are like thirty something percent. Like oh you can get in if you wanted to. There's a really good quote that's like, "How mediocre must you be in order to have to." bribe your way into a system that already favors you <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? so it's that's like... a very like it's true <laughs> and you know the the um the thing about the thing about uh the admissions things also like jay-z was right you know everything's for sale oh yeah, yeah. of course and, and everything like money buy first you get the money and then you get the power. <laughs> In America. <laughs> Simpsons reference. But it's very, it, it is like a weird thing to have happen with uh, with the, the college admission scandal just because, you know, athletic scholarships are, we often think about like Title IX, so women mm. and then minorities in athletic scholarships. But like what you're saying, probably like 99% of the sports are for people who are white. So it's very, uh, it's very... Um, Kind of like disheartening to some degree on that front. So with all that being said, though, let's uh, talk about spot culture system real quick. Yeah, actually, um, let's yeah. get into you. I want to I want to get into your Oscars recap. The Oscars were okay. I actually thought that in terms of like not having a host, I liked it. It's fine. Some people yeah. were like, some That's people fine. were like not into it, and I was like, I like that there wasn't a host. Is everyone was just kind of like presenting the award, and maybe there were some laughs here and there. Some are some fervent arguments were like, well, you don't want the the Oscars the same amount of time as they were with a host, but now you get fewer funny jokes. I'm like, the Oscars are they a funny joke thing or are they a serious thing? Yeah. Because people often say that it's 
Hollywood's night and these like the what everyone's working towards. So do we want it to be a joke fest or are we trying to make it serious? I don't understand what you want now, you know? Uh, so with all that being said, though, I think the Oscars are fine. I wasn't happy with the Best Picture nominations mm-hmm. because I think there were some really, really good movies that were just completely forgotten about Such as? during this time. Such as my favorite film, The Writer, or something like... Mm. Um, uh, eighth grade, you were in eighth grade. Great writing. Who was not not even nominated for original script or original screenplay, or something like um, you were never really here, or even like Spider Man to the Spider Verse, which I think is a fantastic movie. It won for best animated feature. It could have been nominated for best picture. Um, should have won. Should have won best song with Sunflower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <You're> Sunflower. <laughs> But there was just a lot of uh, categories where I was like, you know, the categories are okay, but the overall thing was like, I'm fine with it. I like that there wasn't really a host. You know, it felt a little bit more serious. Mm -hmm. Um, It sure, it still was three hours and 17 minutes or what have you, but I liked it. Let me get your thoughts on did did Rami Malik. Deserve the win, best actor. You know what's funny about Rami Malek? When they show, typically when an actor is up for best actor, mm-hmm. they'll show a really strong acting performance part. Like for example, when um, who's the bad guy? We were just talking about this this afternoon, where he's the bad guy in the professional. Oh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. When Gary Oldman won for playing um, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. Oh, by the way, I was having this thought. Yeah. Like, if you want to win a Best Actor Oscar, all you have to do is just play the dead dude. Really. So, you think about Rami Malek played... Um, <laughs> Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Winston, um, Gary Oldman playing Winston, Winston Churchill. Churchill. Um, you had Daniel Day-Lewis Day- playing, Abraham playing Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> you had uh, Sean Penn playing Harvey Milk. Um, I'm sure there's more There's more than I'm not thinking there, about. There's, biopics are a strong category. They biopics are. and also like uh, World War II stuff are, are strong. So if you want to, if you look, Leonardo DiCaprio, his problem was he played a guy that was already, that was still alive. He needed to play a, a dead dude. Who was the guy who was still alive? Jordan Belfort. Oh, and, I, Wolf of Wall Street. I was like, you know, he played that guy from and the this, one that he won for, The Revenant, well, was who's dead, right? The story about that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, you a play a guy who's story. dead. Play a guy who's dead. <laughs> this is turning to Tropic Thunder. <laughs> this is how you win a Best Actor Oscar. You play, find a famous dude who's dead, and then I'm gonna you're gonna make a movie about his life. Oh, Jamie Fox for Ray Charles. Dude, how many of these? <laughs> I think this is all just coincidental. There's other no, actors that have won for, for non-dead the, roles. Well, obviously there are, but like the Oscars right. loves biopics. They love biopics, and they love like when you transform. Yeah, into they that like. Role. They're like, oh my god, it's so amazing. This guy really talks like Harvey Milk. It's like, <laughs> he kind of looks like him. They gave him a nose prosthetic. Yeah, but with all that being said, to Rami Malek's point. Uh, you know, when they showed Gary Oldman doing The Darkest Hour, they showed like a really good scene that I, I would have I would have chosen as well. Um, but for Rami Malek's part, it was they like literally showed him lip syncing yeah. while he's like fake playing the piano. Yeah, and everyone was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> so I I wasn't huge on Rami Malek winning best best actor mm-hmm. because I think that was like one of the categories where I, I, I would have chosen somebody else and, and perhaps even not even uh, had some other people in there. But um, yeah, it, you know, it is what it is. Great. You've won, but whatever, you know, I think a lot of people have panned that movie quite a bit. <laughs> I just can't wait till like next year when 
Tom Hanks plays Thomas Edison. <laughs> That'd be <It's> great. Like, <laughs> the new movie called Light. <laughs> it's going to win an Academy yeah. Award. It will. Yeah. Come on. Have, if you were a studio exec, have I not sold you yet? <laughs> sold. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you just want to quickly talk about Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I watched Clockwork Orange. I don't get it. Have you seen it before? No. And I have not seen it either. No. A lot of sex. I didn't realize how much uh, Stanley Kubrick really likes sex. And uses sex as kind of like... Um, metaphor? It's it's kind of like a character exploration. Oh, it's a societal... Uh, it's a tool to like make societal statements about like like mankind's violent nature and violent aggressions, you know? Sure. And I, I, you know, it feels that way for like some of his other movies too, like The Shining or... Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Or even something like 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I don't know if there's any sex in that one. Well, no, but just more as like, hey, man, is like... Although the guy might be having sex with the computer. Who knows? Hal 9000? <laughs> <laughs> Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm I naked. Can I do that? <laughs> oh, you're naked. <laughs> <laughs> but with all that being said, though, uh, so you you would call it artsy, so but like, under, like, un, not understandably so. People always say that movies that don't make sense, like, I feel like people trying to rationalize it, but like, oh, it's just artistic. It's artsy. It's, ar- it's artsy fartsy. I didn't like Roma, for example. Like, and, and you didn't like Roma either. I, I, I thought I, Roma was very boring. I didn't yeah. think it was, uh, I, I didn't think that story was really all that fascinating. And I think a lot of people who, who knew the director, we're like, oh, this is, you know, it's like his biographical story, like as told through like another person's, you know, through another character, right? That's yeah. supposed to be him. For, for someone who didn't know that story, like I lost that part of it. But even if I knew it, I mean, what do, why do I care? Why, why, what in this movie really makes me care about these characters other than, um, you know, it's a portrayal of a servant woman who is going through all these things in our lives but still gets treated as a servant woman and really doesn't have any real redemption towards the end of the story. And, this, and the movie really doesn't make any good like statements about like how we treat our service workers. So Right. And, and you know, again, the, the underlying thing about it was just that, hey, these are stories from my life that I want to present to everybody to watch. And the more that I've kind of thought about it, the more that I've kind of appreciated the acting in it and also like the directing in it. But I agree with you that in watching it for the first time, I wasn't like blown away necessarily. Yeah, like a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's such a great movie." Yeah, and like, is like it, so it looks great? well done. Like, I'm glad that it won for cinematography, and I'm glad that it won. I don't, I can't remember. If it won oh yeah, that's great. But it looks great. But still, just like I would have preferred that over Green Book. And I'm I'm one I'm one in the camp of like I enjoyed Green Book. I didn't think it was best picture, but I enjoyed it when I watched it. And obviously, as you read more into it, you're like, okay, well, if some of these events are fabricated, then. You sort of have to take that into account later, but that's, well, it's that's, like the racial structures, and it, it was kind of like these old tropes of like we can cure racism if we just like get the racist guy to be a little bit less racist, you know, <laughs> just by talking to him. I mean, you yeah. know, it's not not true. <laughs> Double negative. There. It's, uh, yeah. If you start talking to people, it's fine. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like, so like people. like the I, I can see why people are so mad. Like, sure. well. Everybody always talks about Green Book and the, the problems with it, you know, coming from like you you have this white savior um, and you have this really ra- racist white guy and that's his problem and struggle. And then the black guy's struggle is I guess he doesn't know what fried chicken is or something like that. He's a little bit too uptight. A little so, bit uptight. Yeah. I didn't watch the movie, but I just, you know, a lot of the person. I recommend like you it. check it out. I mean, again, I saw it without knowing any of this controversy and I was like, this is a, 
movie that I was not expecting to enjoy, and, and here I am enjoying it. Well, like I'm sure, at just a purely just entertainment level, it might be it. It probably is enjoyable, but like, yeah, I I do think that like nowadays a movie should probably have something a lot more to say about this concept of racism and, and structural racism. What's, what's weird is like when I was watching the movie, I felt that it didn't need to. The reason why is because I was like, everyone knows that it was a, a pretty poor time. This is more a movie about a friendship blossoming. And so like, again, don't take me as like defending anti-racism, whatever they, or, or, you know, any sort of like racist <laughs> arguments. I'm not defending any sort of racist arguments. I'm just saying that like when I saw the movie, you know, I liked that they it was a movie about friendship and just how their friendship kind of came along. Now, does it cut some corners? Of course. And <laughs> reading the controversy afterward, it doesn't make me feel great about it, you know, but at the same time, you know, basically not asking Don Shirley's family to consult on the movie. Some of these things may have been factually inaccurate. Um, and so it's not as though he never had fried chicken in his life. It's more of just I like... Think, but I, I think it's more about the... More, I mean, obviously, look, I haven't seen the movie. But that being said, the movie, the title of the movie is based off of a, a book. book. Yeah, like a book that had to do with where, do we, where can we go to be safe from racism. Right. You know, so like racism kind of pervades the entire subject matter of the story. And to not address that issue in a thoughtful way, I think um, is, is problematic in nowadays. You know, like this isn't it's, what it, It's because, you know... When you meet an Italian guy from New York, oh, and you mix him with uh, an African American musician, life finds a way. Okay, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> now, I, again, I, I'm not really going to defend Green Book in terms of all of its, uh, in terms of what it, it's it's presenting or what it's not presenting, because I agree with you that it's not presenting a whole lot. Um, did you watch Captain Marvel, by the way? I did. I'd be curious to hear what you think when you see it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm. I'm probably not going to pay to watch it, but... Don't you have a, a membership to some movie club? I think we gave it. Is huh? it done? Okay. I don't know. Do they even accept that anymore now? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> With all that being said, though, uh, did you have any final thoughts on the Oscars or on Stanley Kubrick? Um, Olivia Colman beating uh, oh. Glenn Close. So yeah. uh, that was like... Look, I, I haven't seen any of those two movies, so I, I can't... I don't have an opinion on it. I just really liked her speech. It was fun. It was a fun speech. It was, yeah. a, it was a nice speech. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I mean, it, it, uh, there was a couple of speeches I really enjoyed too. The art or the costume designer for Black Panther, she mm-hmm. gave a really good speech. You know, she really shouted out Ryan Coogler, and I thought to myself, I really need to work with Ryan Coogler. <laughs> he seems like a really cool dude. Like, you know what? You know what I love about Ryan Coogler is uh, one, he's he's our age. He's from Oakland. <laughs> he's from Oakland. He's our age, and yeah. he went to Sac State, and. When you hear interviews with Ryan Coogler, like, you're like, at least, you know, when I watch, I'm like, that's how people from my hood talk. That's how, that's yeah, how, yeah. that's how we talk, you know? Yeah. And it's great to see someone, um, just so successful from, like, seemingly the same kind of background. And, you know, just knowing, like, probably all the barriers and obstacles he's had to face probably along the way. Right. Um, and now he's got like the the number one domestic grossing movie like yeah. of all time, seven hundred million dollars really amazing, yeah. for Black Panther. Yeah, so. it, makes, it really does make you proud, man. It's just and it's really cool. I was just telling you that, about this earlier. It's like you know, you and I were like we're getting into our mid thirties now. Damn, mid thirties. Oh, but we're starting to see 
I'm a young guy, man. Yeah, we're starting to see people from our generation doing big things. We're starting to see people from our generation in our politics right. make movies. Um, you know, make right. all kinds of art that's that speaks to us, that speaks to our generation, and that's right. that's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. It is man. pretty cool. It makes me feel a little bit old, but at the same time, it's yeah. it's pretty great to be able to identify with it on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, again, I, I think that you and I both have creative sides, and we explore them from time to time as well. And it's really fascinating just to see that. Um, it's a little bit different for us, and this is just more because I, I think that we follow professional routes. Um, but same time, like it is pretty cool to be like, Hey, wow. You know, like again, Ryan Cooper, literally 32 yeah. years old or like, you know, some of these other actors, actresses, directors, artists, what have you. They're also like our age and, and talking about like, you know, nineties stuff. Yeah. The same that we grew up with. I was just watching, um, Hassan Minaj. Yeah. Dude is 33. Yeah. Yeah. He's our age, man. He grew up uh, just around the corner from, and from, uh, yeah, from California. Oh, in Davis. He grew yeah, up in Davis. Davis. Yeah. And it's just like, makes you think like. Man, what are we doing in our lives? <laughs> I, mean, we, I mean, we're doing okay. Yeah, we're doing okay. <laughs> we don't have Netflix shows. We've but... got bills to pay. <laughs> but with all that being said, though, let's start wrapping things up here. And um, Matt, you... oh, go ahead. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the NBA yeah. I, I, again. Like what you were just talking about, the playoffs are coming in a short amount of time, probably like a month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. And what's going to be cool about it is that. Again, everything gets a lot better. Basketball gets a lot more fun. And I'm not saying that it's not fun now, but everyone knows what's on the line. And so it gets more serious. You start feeling like the intensity. And I love playoff basketball. It is like one of my favorite things of all time. Yeah, it's great. Is it, is it your favorite sports, professional sports playoffs? You know, you're trying to turn me on to hockey these days. <laughs> and quite honestly, like hockey is really fun to By watch. By the way... Sharks second in the Western Conference right now. They are on a very many, very hot many, streak. When when is their season over? Um, NHL. It, it it tracks uh, the NBA. Okay, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's like cl- uh, closing. Pretty much. Yeah. So um, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, <laughs> but the sharks <laughs> the don't. Sharks look good. I'll okay. just say that. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, what are you looking forward to? This is going to be nerdy, man. But I actually, I'm actually looking forward to. Avengers Endgame. That's coming up in April. Yeah, I know, man. It's coming up very soon. I I've, actually really want to see what's going to happen. I've man. been staying away from all the stuff after the first teaser trailer. Yeah. So don't tell me about anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. It's, it's, I'm, I'm really interested to see how they're going to start this new era of the MCU. Right. Um, it's crazy because I remember when Iron Man first came out and they came out and Marvel came out with its entire MCU schedule. That's right. And it included all of these movies. And yeah. it was like a this 10-year plan. And I remember thinking, like, there's no way they're going to make all these movies. There's no way. No, you didn't like, think that they were going to make all these movies? No, because who knew that the MCU The first 10 be... years had been, like, great already. Like... No, this is back when Iron Man first came out. Iron Man basically uh, kicked Iron it Man, off. yeah, yeah. And... I was just like, there's no way that, you know, they're going to make enough money to make all these movies and they're going to be this popular. And damn, dude, like they really executed their plan. They did. And they, <laughs> they really kept everything succinct. Uh, not succinct, but I'd say that they kept everything in the same, uh, like the same timeline. Yeah. So what, what I would be really interested to see is because one of the biggest Marvel properties hasn't been a part of the MCU 
and I think now they're now they're going to be, which is X Men. And they're supposed to be. You followed this comic line, and so you told me that the X Men kind of fight against uh, Thanos well, as well, right? And yeah, they're, they're like, all in the they're all in the Infinity War. Yeah. So, and and you know when you think about like who are the, like the Marvel heroes that most people know, like besides Spider Man kind of and the X Men, it's yeah. going to be the X Men. You know? Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to, to see how the well, they've is. also got their closeout movie, which would be Dark Phoenix. Yeah, we'll and see how that, that doesn't goes. look great. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Well, with all that though, um, Matt, what's the last word? Well, you know, we're going to bring it back um, to uh, you, rich college admissions people, or not college admissions people, people that buy your way into power, and uh, bring it back to the wise words of uh, Homer Simpson when he's guarding the sugar. <laughs> Fussy get the money. In America. In America. In America. First you get the money, <laughs> then you get the power. <laughs> no, it's first you, it, for the context of The Simpsons, it's, it's in America. First you get the sugar, <laughs> oh, yeah. and then you get the power, and then you get the women. <laughs> what a great, great, like, tagline to live by. <laughs> What a great show The Simpsons is. <laughs> but without that, uh, thanks guys for listening. You can find, you can find us over at uh, Sub640 uh, at SoundCloud. Uh, find us on iTunes. Subscribe. Leave us a review. Facebook.com slash Sub640. Uh, tweet at us, uh, Sub640. And uh, I think we're also like all over the Google machine. We've been spreading a little bit more uh, all over the place because of other iTunes subscriptions. Yeah. And if you want to email us any comments or anything that you want to say, right, yeah. Sub640 at gmail.com. Yeah. And so, with all that, uh, thanks for listening, and we will be back uh, next time. Billy, get to the chopper! We're watching Predator. (laughs) 